The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Hello, and welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today we are joined by Warren Holt. A pilot with Air Canada for the past 17 years, Warren Holt is also the president of a nonprofit organization called the Urban Pilots Network, or UPN. Warren became interested in flying at an early age and continued the pursuit of his dream by enrolling in the Aviation and Flight Technology Program at Seneca College. After graduation, it would take Warren seven years to accrue the flight time and experience necessary to ultimately land him his dream job as a pilot at Air Canada. During those seven years gaining experience, Warren instructed at Canadian Flight Academy in Oshawa, flew for Wasaya Airways as a pilot in Thunder Bay and Sioux Lookout, and was also a pilot at Air Jamaica. Throughout his time at Air Canada, Warren has flown many different aircraft types and is currently transitioning from the Boeing 787 to captain on the Boeing 767 for Air Canada's cargo operation. In his time as an instructor, Warren met and instructed a black student who at the time was an aircraft maintenance engineer at Air Canada. They had similar interests and remained in touch. And in 2004, that same student would start the Urban Pilots Network with the goal of increasing diversity in the flight deck and right across the aviation industry. Upon his return to Canada in 2005, Warren would join the organization as vice president and would remain in this role until 2020 when he stepped into the president's position. Now that the foundation of UPN is solid, with a spectrum of programs for Black, Indigenous, and youth of color, and UPN's members, Warren is looking to expand UPN's reach and impact by establishing relationships with the big players in the industry. Employment is the ultimate measure of success of UPN's programming, and so these relationships will solidify everything that UPN has worked for. Inspiring to aspire higher is UPN's motto, and Warren is determined that once the youth have been inspired, that there is a pathway for success established so that they can achieve their aviation dreams. I truly could not be more excited to have him join me today. Welcome, Warren. Hello, Laura. Thank you for having me on your podcast today. Hi, Warren. I'm so glad that we were finally able to make this happen. I'm glad, too, um, to spread the word about what we're doing and to um, speak with yourself. I mean, uh, you got some things going on and we'll be working together in the future. So uh, I'm glad to speak with you on this uh, on this podcast this evening. Yeah, I know you and I both wear many different hats and they sort of crisscross in different ways. But in terms of the podcast, we will jump right on in. How did you get your start in aviation? Well, I was lucky. I got my start in aviation, uh, the idea anyways, at a very young age. Um, I was in grade seven. So whatever age you're at, at, at grade seven, I remember specifically. And it's just by total coincidence. I happened to be sitting in front of the TV um, and saw something on TV that opened my eyes. I had never considered being a pilot before that. And I thought, wow, that, that seems like a pretty cool job. Um, and so I looked into it. I uh, My uncle at the time, he wasn't currently in Air Cadets, but I knew he had been in Air Cadet before. He was actually at that time in the reserves of the military, but I knew he had previously been an Air Cadet. So I called him, asked him about Air Cadets. Um, he told me the deal on Air Cadets. I found the closest Air Cadet squadron um, to me. And uh, the next day I went to school, sitting in the cafeteria with uh, two other of my friends. And I told them, hey, I just saw this thing on TV and I think I'm going to be a pilot. And the two of them said to me, that sounds pretty cool. We'll be pilots too. And we all joined Air Cadets. And out of the three of us, two of us became pilots. Third one kind of went astray. and But that happens, you know, in, uh, in uh, the priority and prior, priority neighborhoods and the um, challenged neighborhoods. So that, that's a consequence. Um, but yes, two out of three of us became pilots. One's flying, currently flying for Morningstar on a 757. And I'm um, currently uh, doing my captain upgrade on the 767 at Air Canada. So that's my story. That's how it it all got started. I always find it so interesting how many pilots that are contemporarily working in aviation got their started as an air cadet. I'm sure there is the data somewhere to see how many air cadets actually move on to have a career, even just within aviation, not even just in terms of being a pilot role. 
but uh, it seems that it's such a high percentage or that if you have that spark, then the Air Cadets is a great way to foster it into becoming something that you move towards as a career. Well, the thing is, there's not really many options. I mean, if you're 12 or 13 and you decide to be a pilot, I mean, it's different if you're 18. OK, you could get started right away. But if you're 12 or 13, what are you going to do? You can't you can't really do anything. Air Cadets, they'll take you in. Um, I mean, you follow kind of the military profile, you know, you learn how to march, do drills and all that stuff that comes with being part of a military organization. But they also foster um, your interest in in um, flying. And so um, I went to basic training camp, but then the following year I went to air studies and air studies camp is basically all about, as the name suggests, all about flying and learning about meteorology and theory of flight and stuff like that and um you could do this at a very young age and they take you flying in gliders um so on and so forth so it's a great way to foster um your passion for flying until you come of age right because really you can't do anything um until you get older and that's basically one of the only only ways right now to do that right so we have a couple of programs that we're trying to implement, but uh, and we do implement. But at that in my stage, there, there really wasn't anything else that could foster that. Yeah, I think back to my own time being an air cadet and it was, well, what else are we going to do with Laura? Like she, she wants right. to be in aviation. She's 12. What else are we going to That's do it. for her? There, there are no other options other than I was very fortunate. I got to have a, a tour of the local control tower um, as well to just go, OK, this is super cool off well, these are the views that an air traffic controller must have well, pilots it has to be that much more incredible so mm -hmm. this is really where you want to go but you're right if you there's so many different things and different passions you can have as sort of a teen tween where there is an outlet or multiple avenues that you can go down but yeah if you're interested in aviation in canada as sort of a preteen, you're really limited to the air cadets in, in hindsight now that i think about it Yes. And even now when we, um, I'm, I mean, uh, we'll talk about it later, but we work with a lot of youth and uh, we we start some of our programs at about age 12. And the parents, because the youth are so excited, the parents are asked, well, what can we do now? And it's like, well, air cadets, it's still air cadets, the answer, right? Because from the age 12, what, what are we, where are we going to send their kids? So that want to foster this. So that that's still pretty much the go to if you want to foster um, that passion for aviation. So you mentioned now you're in the middle of doing your captain upgrade at Air Canada and you've presently been a pilot at Air Canada for over 15 years. What has it been like to see the company over so many changes and over such a period of time and I guess sort of the industry as well over such a remarkable period of time? Well, the thing about the aviation industry for all of us that are in it, we already know this, is that it changes so much. It's, it's we've heard about the cycles and 100 percent true it goes in cycles um and i've seen quite a few at air canada so i got at air canada in 2005 and when i got there it was just they had just not immediately um come through the merger but uh, it was still recent and fresh in everybody's mind so the canadian airlines and air canada merger was still fresh so um, as you can imagine, with most mergers, there's a little bit of hostility within the groups, you know, um, between the groups, between the Canadian Airlines people and the Air Canada people. Um, so it was a little bit of a difficult environment. Here I was all happy-go-lucky to show up to Air Canada. I have achieved my dream and I get to Air Canada. There was, it, was, it was interesting to see how um, um, uh, hostile the, the environment was. But... Having said that, um, a couple contracts later, that was um, taken care of, and um, things started to turn for the better. And we had a guy by the name of Ben Smith, who now um, got headhunted by KLM France, uh, Air France, um, and he put us on a trajectory that was unbelievable and unprecedented. And we started getting all these uh, aircraft, more wide bodies, um, started Rouge, we got the 787s, we increased our root structure. And I mean, it was a time at Air Canada that everybody was happy, you know? Um, so here we are in that cycle again, we're doing unprecedented hiring. Um, everybody's happy. And, um, you know, the air, there's, there's no stopping the airline, there's no limits. And then of course the pandemic. 
And then the pandemic shut everything down. And so now we're back down into a lowest part of the cycle. You know, we end up laying off 600 um, pilots, unfortunately. Um, not a huge number, sounds like a huge number, but we have four, over 4,000 pilots. And to only lay off 600 during the pandemic where there was literally just nothing, um, I, I think we did okay. Um, so then we're in the down cycle and here we are again, pandemics pretty much um, come to an end. I mean, COVID is still out there, but the pandemic is pretty much over. And here we are on the up and up again, back to the crazy hiring, unprecedented hiring. Again, we're already exceeding 2019 levels. And so there it is, it's that it's just that wave. And um, the changes are unbelievable. We're, we're affected by everything that goes on um, so deeply. Um, and it changes. It's it's anything but consistent. But at the same time, I mean, I wouldn't do anything else. <laughs> you you noted that you brought your rather you sort of arrived at Air Canada during a bit of a, a challenging time, maybe internally. And of course, you're just sort of there, just excited to be there. And everyone else is sort of sort of maybe feeling each other out still. Um, yes. I'm going to assume that Air Canada was not your first flying job. So what did you maybe bring from previous flying roles you'd had into your new role at Air Canada during such a difficult time uh, transition-wise? Well, first of all, I didn't let anything stop me from enjoying my time at Air Canada. That's for sure. I mean, I was happy to be there. It took me seven years to get there. My journey, um, I started at Seneca College and uh, I graduated in 1998. I got to Air Canada in 2005. So it was seven years before I got to Air Canada. And in those times, I mean, it was very, very difficult. It was one of the downtimes in aviation that there's that cycle again. And so very difficult to get any jobs, um, very little work out there. I instructed for three years. I mean, you say that to somebody now that's a pilot with the upswing, three years that they, they'd laugh at you uh, because you'd maybe instruct for six months to a year nowadays and you'd be flying some you'd have your first job uh, in the bag but I instructed for three years then I went up north I was flying for Wasaya Airways at um out of Thunder Bay flew out of Thunder Bay for two years one year in Sioux Lookout when I got my captain upgrade on the 1900 then I got called I went down to Air Jamaica I flew for Air Jamaica on the uh Airbus spent a year down there in 2004 but of course I got laid off laid off at Air Jamaica and 2005 and that's when i came back and uh, fortunately for myself that's when air canada just started hiring so i was happy to be i mean i loved air jamaica air jamaica was great but it, at the end of the day they laid me off and i came back to air canada and air canada was the dream and so it didn't really matter what was going on in the flight deck or at the company or who was mad and who was happy i was happy to be there that's all that mattered yeah. to me right so i wasn't going to let um what was going on bring me down and so i've just carried that throughout and you know working up north and grinding it out uh three years instructing and three years up north flying in the reserves in and out of the reserves i mean you you appreciate what you got right so it gives you that appreciation when you do arrive at air canada so that nothing was gonna to, to um sour my time at air canada now, I'm mindful as well, having sort of graduated, I guess, from Seneca in 98, you've seen aviation through some very dramatic and challenging time periods over, the, I mean, gosh, yes. over yeah. the last, I'll say, 20-something years. Um, <laughs> what advice would you have for someone who's maybe just arriving in the industry or relatively new to aviation, who's sort of seeing us coming out of this downturn, ideally on the upswing? What advice would you have for someone with sort of the ups and downs that the industry brings? Well, there's a few things. I, I got lots of advice. <laughs> um, That's why we have you. <laughs> number one, uh, you have to have the passion. If you don't have the passion, you're not going to make it. And I hate to say it so bluntly, but you have to love it. You have to be doing it for the right reasons. You have to love it. You have to have the passion for flying um, or anything else in the aviation industry because this industry is so tough cyclically. Like it, it's up and down and up and down. And inevitably, you're going to be going through hard times. Inevitably right some people catch the wave at the right time and they never look back and i mean that that does happen it's a true story but it doesn't happen to all of us most of us are going to get caught in a downturn at some point and so you make sure you have that passion um, and don't give up 
right? Don't quit when times get tough because they will get tough at some point. Uh, we like, like I said, we just went through the pandemic. That was a pretty tough time, even for the people at Air Canada. I mean, like I said, we got we had 600 people laid off. You know, that wasn't great times for them, right? And here they are. They thought, okay, I made it at Air Canada. Life's great. Pandemic. So my number one thing is don't give up. Fuel that passion um, and keep working, even during the bad times. So at UPN, I sent several messages to our members saying, listen, just because it's a pandemic, don't stop your training. Don't stop flying. Don't stop getting your hours and studying for your exams. Get that done because um, you want to get a seat before the music stops, I always say. And the music had stopped. But when that music starts playing again, you want to be ready and you want to be ready to go. You don't want some of the opportunities to arrive and you don't have, say, your, your IATRA written or you don't you didn't get the time you needed or you didn't finish this license. So continue to work even when the when um, times are tough and when we're in a down cycle. So have that passion, continue to work and just be prepared. It's challenging. Even in the good times, it's challenging. The aviation industry is a challenging industry um, and it could be tough at times. I was just speaking to somebody today, actually. They just got hired flying a 1900. Um, uh, it was it's tough. They were going through a tough time, right? Because um, pilots are still treated specifically like there's no shortage. And let's be real, there's a shortage. But in the lower jobs, they're still treating it like there's no shortage. People are throwing bags, loading, loading airplanes, and you know they're not paying pilots what they're worth at the lower levels, and they're working long hours, seven days a week, as many of us did um, back in the days. But there wasn't, but there were there was no jobs back in the day, so you had to do that. But now, even though things are on the up and up, you know it's still tough. So I'd say just be pre be prepared for the tough times. Don't give up. Fuel your passion and work even harder during the tough times so that you're ready when the new wave starts. No, I even remember in sort of early parts of the pandemic, um, even just in my time in aviation, I've seen the upswing of we just cannot turn out enough pilots at all. And the mass exodus of instructors from instructing positions into 703, 704, some even directly at 705 operations. Um, and that was the time where you would maybe have 11 instructors to do your commercial license. Because um, it was people were just turning over so quickly. And then of course, as we all sort of acknowledge COVID and how everything slowed down, there was an article written by Donna Miller, uh, who writes for the 99s magazine. And it was the idea of this is still important. This is still an important time to set goals, even if everything sucks right now and you feel like you're never going to fly you can use this time once you're just sort of beyond surviving and just getting by you can use this time to be that much further towards your goals as you said make sure you have that iatra written so that when a company comes calling you're not caught not having written it even though you've had maybe all the opportunity to do so so it was definitely a time where for everyone who is lucky enough to just already be surviving where you could maybe not necessarily get ahead, but at least keep up the pace in terms of moving forward, whatever that was, be it written exams or, or flight training. Definitely, definitely, 100%. I mean, hit the books, get whatever um, exams done that you need to get done. Just study and know your stuff. I mean, that always helps. So um, there's always things you could do. Now, we've referenced UPN a couple of times so far, but it is the Urban Pilots Network, which was a nonprofit organization created in 2004 with the motto of inspiring to aspire higher. Now you are the president and chief executive director of UPN. How was UPN formed and how did you become involved with it? So UPN was formed, the Urban Pilots Network was formed in 2004. And um, how it got formed, we had three individuals, Tony Lawrence, Bill Shepard and Lynn Isaacs, um, three young black men that decided that there needed to be a change in the aviation industry wasn't diverse enough and we needed to create diversity. Started with the flight deck, um, right? Because typically when you go on an airplane, um, what do we expect to see? It's not um, anybody of color or even women in the flight deck, right? So that's where it started. These three gentlemen started it in 2004. That was the time I was actually in at Air Jamaica. So I was out of country at the point. Now I had known one of the individuals who was the former president, um, as uh, from instructing. Uh, when I was an instructor, I was, uh, he was, became my student and uh, we worked on his IFR rating. 
he was currently an aircraft maintenance engineer at the time at Air Canada. So this is, and this happens a lot. Somebody gets into aviation, they can't do the flying right away, so they get into another avenue of aviation, in his particular case, Air Canada um, AME, which he was an AME for eight years. So he's, he, he had been there for a while, but decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Flying is my passion, and I'm going to get it done. So we worked on his instructor rating, and he got that done, of course. And I went off to uh, Air Jamaica years later. And when I came back, when I got laid off, so I got laid off in May of 2004, and I didn't get hired at Air Canada till November of 2005. Sorry, I came back in May of 2005, and I got hired six months later in November. And during that time, um, this gentleman approached me and said, hey, well, we've started uh, the Urban Pilots Network. This is what it's about. Uh, you want to come do some summer camp stuff and, and work with us? And I said, sure. And it came along did a couple of the summer camp uh, programs and uh, and it was excellent. I mean, we were working with kids. They're probably out there right now, hopefully flying airplanes somewhere because that was in 2004. So that's 18 years ago, right? And uh, so we did that. And uh, he said to me, hey, you know, um, why don't you come on as the vice president? So I came on, joined as a vice president. And there I was um, until about two years ago, two, three years ago, when he stepped down and became president. So that's how I got involved with the Urban Pilots Network, been there ever since. And uh, so now I've stepped up as president and we're trying to take it to um, to, different, to newer heights and um, different levels. Where does the motto of inspiring to aspire higher come from? The motto, the motto, it, it just comes from um, what we realized going into the schools is that awareness was was the number one um, issue right and so what we were trying to do um, in our community first of all um, there's there's a lot of obstacles right and one of the obstacles I'm sure we've all heard about streaming where they try to put um, black youth and people of color into certain programs and uh, I mean talk to almost any youth of color and they've probably spoken to some guidance counselor or teacher that have told them, okay, well, you can't be that. How about you get into the trades or you can't be that. Uh, maybe you should play basketball, you know? So that's unacceptable to us. And so the motto inspiring to aspire higher is born out of that. To go beyond that, come, let's get out of the box. Let's get out of the box that people put us in and, and, and aspire higher. And of course, we're the ones that are gonna to try to inspire you to do that. So through the summer camps, through our seminars, through our career fairs, assemblies, we go out there and we try to inspire for the students and the youth to aspire higher and get out of that box that we've been put in for so many years. I know when I got into aviation, I very much only saw it through the lens of gender. And I approached my program and there were X number of men and X number of women and I was in the minority and that's how I saw it. It took me, I would say, embarrassingly long into aviation to realize that approaching it from the lens of gender diversity is not the only way that you can approach it. There were white men in my program, there were men of color in my program, and I sort of lumped them all together as men. And mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily recognize, I'll say I was young and privileged, I didn't necessarily recognize that the experience from just one man to another would be different based on who they are and where they're from. So understanding how important it was to me when I got into aviation to see women, and they could be women of color, they could be white women, it was just to see people that looked like me, the idea of having someone that looks like me, if you can see it, you can be it being so important. I. I don't know if I will ever fully understand, but I can very much fully appreciate the importance of having people of color in roles in aviation that are being highlighted because that's what you need to get more to come in. It, it, it makes so much difference and I don't think people fully understand it until you need that representation or rather you are the representation because you're one of the few. A hundred percent. I mean, representation is is everything. It's empowerment. It's letting people know that this is possible. It, 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 it inspires, right? Um, so us representing and, and women as well. I mean, you, you um, for women doing the same thing that we're doing on behalf of women, it's, it's powerful because there's young, young girls that don't think they could do that. Oh, well, that's 
pilot. That's for that's for guys. No, it's not for guys. Look, I'm a pilot, right? And I did it. And it's the same for people of color. Um, we go into the schools and they see us and they say, are you a pilot? I mean, they're blown away, blown away. Even though we show up in a uniform, you know, we got the bars, got the wings, got the hat. Are you a pilot? Yes, we're pilots, right? Um, and you could be a pilot too. So representation is everything and seeing is believing. And I always tell people, I've said this a million times, if, if you don't know that the door exists, then how can we expect you to walk through it? So we're there just to show everybody, here's the door, right? Here's the door to world of aviation. Whether you want to be a pilot, whether you want to be air traffic control, what do you want to be aircraft maintenance engineer, meteorologist, aerospace design, management, here is the door. Now that we've showed you the door, it's up to you to decide, do I want to walk through that door or do I want to walk through another door? Maybe I want to walk through the lawyer door. Maybe I want to walk through the teacher door or the doctor door, right? But we want you to know that there's a door to aviation and all you have to do is walk through it, right? So um, that's what we're there to do. And representation shows that door. It opens that door for a lot of these youth. And it's the same for you, Laura, with um, on the women's side. Having young girls see a woman pilot show up in class um, or just walking through the airport. Wow, mommy, look, it's a, it's a woman, she's a pilot. And then, then they think, oh, if she did, I can do it, right? So representation is, is um, very, very important. And awareness, like I said, is um, one of the biggest hindrances, especially in our community, because our youth just don't see this as an option, right? It's not considered, it's not shown to them um, until we come and show them. Is it true that UPN has gone into classrooms, asked children how many times have you ever seen a black pilot before and very few will raise their hand and the reply from UPN representatives is that's because we're all here <laughs> there's only x number of us and we're all in the same room right now that's why you don't see us uh, on your trip. well that's a little joke but um I mean in all seriously in all seriousness what we do ask them what we do how the the presentation usually goes is we we tell them our motto and it's inspiring to aspire higher we have them say that a few times and then the next thing we say is, what are you aspiring to be? And when we say, what are you aspiring to be? It's always the same thing. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be Beyonce. I want to be Jay-Z. I want to be a basketball player. I want to be a soccer player. Those are the things we get, a teacher. Now, every now and then you're going to get something in the mix where somebody says, I want to be an astrophysicist or something like that. And that's phenomenal. But this is what I was talking about, that box. We're conditioned to think this is what we could be. Right. These are the top two, the lawyer and the doctor, maybe a teacher, because, you know, kids interact with the teachers all the time. So they see that that's as a that's a possibility. But the rest is basketball player, soccer player, Beyonce, Jay-Z, so on and so forth. And then we say, um, well, how many want to be a pilot? No hands go up because nobody's thought of it before. Then we run through our presentation. We talk about the different careers in aviation. And at the end, we say, how many of you want to be pilots? All the hands go up. So we know we've impacted that classroom. Yeah, I remember in speaking with Tanya Yearwood, who is the founder of the Black Aviation Professionals Network, she and I had been back and forth about what you were told you could be as a little girl. And yes. she said growing up as a young Black girl that for her it was very much you could be sort of in entertainment, in arts, in sports. Whereas I as a little white girl growing up was told I could be anything I wanted. It's very, it's, I know, People may not believe that, but all of us, you talk to any person of color, and this is what we've been told. Now, hopefully that's changing, but I'll give you another example. My cousin, he's in uh, London. Um, this was a while ago, probably in um, 2008 or something like that. His mother called me, and uh, he obviously knew I was a pilot, and uh, they must uh, they have a different day in school. It's not show and tell or anything or anything. It's something about careers. And uh, so he went up and said uh, he wants to be a pilot when he grows up. And his teacher said that he can be a pilot. And he came home crying or whatever. And uh, his mom called me, put me on the phone um, because he knew that I was a pilot. Yet here was this lady in in wherever in England telling my cousin that he could not be a pilot right? But he had my representation. 
So, I mean, it continues to happen. It's very unfortunate. It's, it's in the same box as streaming. Um, and we got to go out there and make sure our youth know that there are no caps on what you could be. There's no, that literally the sky's the limit, right? So, and the sky is not even the limit in our case, really. So um, go out there, choose what you want to be and go after it. And if it's a pilot, great, it does, but it doesn't have to. Right? Like I said, we just want you to know that you have the option of being a pilot or air traffic control, air aircraft maintenance engineer. Now you've noted that you've done classroom visits and you've had summer camps. What are some other outreach events that UPN does? So those are the main things. Um, we try to get into the schools, do the uh, seminars. We tailor the seminars to however the, the schools uh, want us to do. Um, career fairs, assemblies, the summer camps, those are the main programs for our youth. Now, UPN's a bit of a two-tier organization. Half of what we do, we like to call planting the seed. So these are those programs, the seminars, career fairs, um, assemblies, summer camps, and we let the youth know that these possibilities exist, right? So we go in and we do a, we do a show, we get them on the flight sim for the summer camp, we do a whole um, swath of things, uh, again with the summer camp, or again with the simulators, teach them a little bit about theory of flight, meteorology, take them to the simulators at CAE with jazz, take them flying in an airplane around the city. So we plant the seed and we let them know these are, these are all the possibilities for um, flying. And then when they come of age, because like I said, if we started about 12, then you know there's not much more we could do other than put them in those, those summer camp programs and, and do the seminars. But then, you know, um, when they come of age years later and they say, you know, those pilots came to my class six years ago and, you know, that was an interesting idea. I think I'm going to be a pilot, but how do I go about doing that? I don't know how to, I don't know where to go. I don't know how, where to start, who to talk to. This is where we come back and we say to you, okay, well, get on as a UPN member and let us assist you. We're going to provide you with a network, first of all, so you're not doing it on your own. Right? You're going to have many people that are in the same boat as you that you can talk to, communicate, see what are you doing, um, what did you do first, talk about jobs, careers, so on and so forth. And then we try to provide programming. We just recently had a CRM course, which is a crew resource management course, which most, pilot, most pilots in the early stages would never get that. They're gonna, you're going to get something like that when you get to a feeder airline like Jazz or Porter or to the main airlines like Air Canada, Sunwing, WestJet. So to have that on your resume, um, CRM course by Jazz, it's added value. And that's what we try to do, add value, provide any edge, give you a network to work with. Um, scholarships, we also have scholarships that we provide because we all know flying is very expensive. And the financial burden is actually one of the biggest hindrances, especially in our community. So we have to do whatever we can to help um, our members get through. So we can't just go out and tell all these kids and all these schools and all these summer camps that you could be a pilot, you could be a traffic controller. And then when they grow up and decide, this is what I wanna do, they're on their own. We have to, we have to, we've shown them the way, we've shown them the possibilities. Now we have to show them the way. And that's what we do with the membership. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do, um, or that's what we're doing right now, actually, with our membership. So part of it is youth outreach, planting the seed. But then once that's, that seed starts to sprout, we got to keep watering that seed and make sure it grows and blossoms and achieves their goals and gets to where they, they want to be. Yeah, no, between the networking aspect and the different opportunities that UPN creates for members and overall the community as well. I know the CRM course is not limited to just UPN members. Um, it's really about, gosh, supporting and empowering those that are already in the industry and helping them get set up. As we know, even in the best of times, it is still challenging and is a full time commitment to, to succeed and to see yourself through it. And so having the resources and uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of scholarships and they are not gifts and they're not loans. They are investments that an organization is making in someone. And That's right. I mean, for a young person, just not even a young person, for anyone for, for whom they are receiving a scholarship, especially coming from an organization that has a basis in empowering and supporting and um, helping move forward. I mean, to be the recipient of that investment is, uh, is a big deal too. A hundred percent. It is an investment. And um... I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to grow our scholarship program, but these are, I mean, these are one of the, 
many things that we try and do. There's so many different things we could do for pilots and aviation professionals, AMEs, air traffic controllers to assist them along the way. And um, we'll be working on that moving forward. But um, I mean, there's so many ways The CRM. We've done Transport Canada safety um, seminars. We had an interview and resume prep because for anybody in aviation an aviation resume is not like any other resume, right? So how do you how do you make a resume? I'm a pilot. I have no idea how to put a resume together. Well, we had a course to, to take care of that, how to get ready for an aviation interview, so on and so forth. So all these things we try to do to give um, our members the edge and an advantage because they were usually disadvantaged and have no edge. Everybody else has the edge but us. And so we're trying to change that and give our members the, the edge and the advantage to ensure that they become successful. Yeah, no, by by virtue of the fact that members of UPN are likely going to be sort of in the, the minority when it comes to aviation, you are inherently going to stand out. I, I experienced that as being a woman in aviation. You might be the, one of the few, if not the only. And so by empowering them, by giving them the resources to stand out for all the right reasons, I mean, that's really the best way to sort of um, add to the retention of aviation professionals. Yes. Now, what for you is the most rewarding aspect of your role with UPN? I mean, um, I'd say the most rewarding aspect is just seeing our members succeed and our youth succeed. Um, recently, actually, we just had our year-end event, and I was very happy to announce at that event that our very first scholarship winner and our very first female scholarship winner both got into Air Canada that week. Um, and matter of fact, they were both on the same course, which is just amazing. So to have our first scholarship winner and our very first female scholarship winner um, get into Air Canada, I mean, success, employment is the ultimate measurement of success for us, right? Because we're, number one, we're trying to create diversity in the industry. And when we see our members get employed, then we're doing that. We're making a change. But I mean, it's very rewarding. It's very rewarding. And even to see the, the youth in the camps and the at the seminars, because Sometimes they have no idea, and we could see that we've changed a young young person's life. We had a, um, a young Syrian girl in one of our summer camps, and uh, her dad was putting her in all these different programs to kind of help her decide what she wanted to do. And she was, she was really getting tired of all the programs and camps that her dad was putting her in. And then she came to our camp, and she loved it. And she said, she told me about all these camps she was going in. She's like, but I've decided I want to be a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best thing ever. I want to be a pilot. And um, I mean, she's still fairly young, so she's got a few more years to, to decide. But, you know, when you see that spark, when you see that the spark's been lit and um, that they're going to pursue it and you may have changed somebody's life, lives, that, that's, um, that's amazing. That's the most rewarding thing to see the youth when they realize I can be a pilot or to see the members when they go to our programs and they succeed and we have people moving through now at an unprecedented rate it's uh, unbelievable and we got much more work to be to to do and we'll get a lot more people we're just we're just scratching the surface here right um there is a lot more work to be done and in terms of pilots in canada women have been a little bit more successful there i think you guys are up around seven eight percent um, in terms of uh, female pilots, but for minorities, we're still two to three percent. We got a long way to. I mean, that's totally unacceptable. We have a long way to go. What is next for UPN? Well, what's next um, is expanding the network, getting more members, increasing our our, our outreach. Right, we're mainly in the GTAA, but we want to increase that reach. We wanted to go right across the board across Canada and help um, um, young brothers and sisters and people of color, the BIPOC community, right across Canada. So that's number one. Number two, as I mentioned, the number one measure of measurement of success for us is employment. I mean, we start with the youth, we plant the seed, like I said, they come to us later on and they, we try to help them along. But at the end of the day, if we don't get them employed, then we're not changing diversity. We're not increasing diversity. We're not changing the dynamic in the flight deck, the dynamic in the tower, the dynamic in the hangar. So employment. So what we would like to do is work with the airlines and 
you know, get Air Canada on board, WestJet, Sunwing, Flare, Porter, Jazz, get them all on board and, and get our members employed, or at least give them an opportunity to be employed and get them interviews, right? Set up co-op programs. Can we get co-op programs going for our engineers, um, for people that would like to get into dispatch so that we could get them into the system, get them employed, get them working. Those are the partnerships that we're trying to, trying to make. And um, for example, Jazz has been phenomenal. Uh, we haven't set up an employment stream with Jazz, but Jazz has been phenomenal in terms of helping the youth, helping with, uh, they helped us, they provided that CRM course. They provided the interview portion of that interview and, and uh, resume preparation course. Um, they worked with us uh, for quite a, quite a few years and helped the youth programs. Um, Air Canada, this year was the first year they they supported our scholarship program and we're looking to increase that moving forward. So we're getting there, we're getting there, but we need to get everybody on board. Everybody needs to play their part, right? Diversity and equity inclusion is, is top of the list nowadays at, at most um, uh, of these airlines. And it's not that they're not trying, right? It's not that they're not trying, but for example, it's if, if they're gonna hire 50 pilots at Air Canada, they could look through a stack of 100 resumes and pick out the women in those resumes just by name. Most of them, not all, most of them. In a stack of 100 resumes though, how are you gonna pick out the people of color? Unless they have a very unique name um, or distinct name, you can't pick them out, right? My name's Warren Holt. Can you tell that I'm a person of color from my name? You can't. So you can't pick that resume out. So it's not that these airlines aren't trying, right? Um, but it's hard to pick it out from a stack of resumes. And so we want to start setting up pipelines. We want to start setting up partnerships with um, these airlines so that even if you can't provide financial services, even if you can't provide interviews or, or so on, that can you provide a program that we could... Um, get our members involved in some kind of co-op um, where we can work together or some kind of partnership to work with the youth. So that's what we're looking for now, partnerships. Partnerships in terms of working with our youth, in terms of working with our members and, and giving us programs that will increase their value. And also at the end of the day, employment, as I mentioned, because at the end of the day, employment is success. So um, like I said, we're going after Air Canada, uh, WestJet, Sunwing, Flare, um, Canada Jetlines, Lynx, Porter, Jazz, whoever it may be, we want to partner with you. We want to have a discussion. Invite me to the table so we can sit down and talk and see how we can increase diversity. Now, I know we sort of threw out approximate Canadian figures, um, but I do have 2021 data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor. Um, and according to them, aviation in the United States is 93% male and 95% white, which sort of, I assume Canadian numbers are along yes, the yeah. similar lines. I, of course, we're Canadians, so we always want to think we're a little bit better. Um, but it's probably just right around the same. It's um, not better. It's not <laughs> better. No, no, we, exactly. that's the not US better. Is doing, the U.S. is doing much better than we are. In terms of minorities, I can't say that for women, I'm not sure. But in terms of minorities, the U.S. is doing much better than we are. It's, they are, we are somehow such similar com com uh, countries, such dissimilar countries but there i would say right. i would agree with with that um we've mentioned sort of what aviation companies and airlines can do in terms of supporting upn but how can sort of your average listener or just anyone who's maybe not at that c-suite level just anyone in aviation how can we support the work that upn is doing well number one spread the word as i mentioned a few times on this podcast awareness awareness is everything and so spread the word about the Urban Pilots Network, let people know we exist, um, forward our information, give them our Instagram, LinkedIn, um, point them in the direction of our website and just spread the word. And if there's youth out there um, that um, need assistance, that need guidance, we'll speak to them. Get us in front of that youth. We're, we've been talking to different organizations. There's so many different youth organizations out there um, that are trying to help youth. Give us a call. Call us up and uh, let us get in front of your youth and speak to them. And hopefully we can plant the seed there. The second thing is, I mean, get on board. Get on board. 
if um, even if you're not a pilot, even if you're not air traffic control, but you believe um, or maintenance, but you believe in our cause, get on board, get on board UPN, sign up and say, hey, you know what, we want to be part of uh, have a leadership role. I want to get on one of these committees. I want to get on your leadership team so we could, you know, I have skills. I have a this type of skill set. How can I help UPN with that skill set? Because at the end of the day, what we have to remember is that we're pilots. We're pilots, AMEs, air traffic controllers, right? So we don't have um, every skill set. I didn't go to school uh, for business or anything like that. So if you have a certain skill set that you could bring to UPN, get on board. Call us up. Say, hey, I'm interested and I believe in what you're doing. Um, and I'd like to get on board and and be part of your leadership team. I'd like to be part of your committee. I'd like to help you with with um, uh, funding or or um, business plan writing. Or I'd like to help you with this. I can provide this, or I can provide legal, or I can provide whatever you got. Bring it to us, and we could sit down, and have a conversation, and see how you could be a part of the UPN. How do you hope the movement of highlighting Black professionals in aviation impacts the industry at large? Well, it's hopefully will have a, a huge impact on the industry. And I shouldn't say hopefully, it will. I mean, what I want to see is is eventually any flight that is, is going to have a person of color or or a woman or both or a woman of of color, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the unicorn, right? <laughs> yeah. Somehow that's so, it's it's unfortunate that that's the truth, but it is. It's, it's it is the truth. So, so yeah. it's that's the unicorn right there. So. That's the impact we want to have. We want to change it to flight deck. But not only that, it's in the tower too, right? Go into an ATC tower and tell me what you see. It's going to be the same um, same issue. So we want to, that's the impact. We want to change that right across the board. And we want to change the thought process that, um, so that it's not unique, so that it's not, oh, wow, you know, there's there's uh, two black people flying an airplane today. No, that well, that shouldn't be a surprise. You know, that's, that's a definite possibility. Or I, I um, calling out her name, Kathy Fraser, but uh, I flew with her a lot at Air Canada. She's a female captain, um, actually just about to retire. And uh, um, you know, we always joke around that we're the uh, my, we're the total minority uh, flight crew. You know, a women female captain and uh, and a black uh, first officer. So that shouldn't be unusual, right? So we sit there and we joke about it, uh, but you know, me and Kathy have had great conversations and she's actually helped us a lot to get where we are today with the connections she's um, brought towards us. Um, but that shouldn't be unusual, right? And that's what we need to change. It shouldn't be unusual. Now, who is someone in aviation you admire and why? You know, I don't really have any one person in aviation um, to, to speak of. I, I'll tell you who I, who I do admire. Um, the people that came before me. So people like the Tuskegee Airmen, Bessie Coleman, Gerald Bell, Walter Peters, Mae Jameson. I mean, all these people that came before me that were doing what I'm doing in even harder times. I mean, it was challenging when I was doing it in, um, well, many years ago. Um, but uh, these these guys and girls that were doing it before, when um, I mean the Tuskegee Airmen, for example, that 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 were flying in the war and then came back and and they couldn't even get a job after that. Nobody would hire them, and you know they're getting called the N word and this that, and they still pursued. And those are the people that opened up the doors for us. So I admire I admire them because it was incredibly hard when I did it, but I can't even imagine I can't even imagine what they went through. And the Gerald Bell, the Walter Peters, um, God rest his soul, um, that came before us, unbelievable. I can't even imagine what they went through and they did it. And that's the thing, they did it. So those are the people I admire. Um, other than that, I couldn't, I couldn't pick out um, um, anybody else. The one person I, I might say is my instructor at Seneca, he passed away, unfortunately, but uh, that uh, that man, Alex Rayside, he just had this belief in me. There was a guy that was looking out for me. And uh, Scottish, uh, old ex-military Scottish, it was all ex-military when I went to Seneca. It's, it's not so much like that now, but uh, ex-military Scottish guy that just believed in me and just looked out for me. And um, I admire him uh, very much. And unfortunately, he passed away. But uh, 
I'd say yeah, Alex Rayside and, and, and all the people that came before me. One of the things that struck me when I got into aviation is how many of the, the legends who've made it possible for me to be here are still living, are contemporary people. It's not someone who passed away 50 years ago. These are yeah, current contemporary people yeah. that, I, that I can meet, like Kathy Fraser. Yes. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's, there's always something about the people that made it possible for you to be here or to at least know that you can walk into the room and there may be some looks, but you're not the first one to ever. Not the first. Ever, and yeah. yeah, and that's powerful. And like you said, um, it's not that long ago. It's, it's not. not that long ago. <laughs> I mean, Walter Peters, I just mentioned he passed away, but I met Walter Peters. You know, he was at, he was actually the guest speaker at uh, one of our year-end events, not actually not our year-end events, one of our scholarship events years ago. And we got to meet him. We spent the whole night with him and he was telling us all these stories. Walter Peters was the first black uh, um, snowbird pilot for those that don't know. Um, and man, to hear that, to hear that gentleman tell the stories of what it took to get where he was. And then there he was, you know, first black uh, snowbird pilot. But uh, yeah. These are people of our era. It's not that far. It's not that long ago. Three years ago, we wouldn't be having that all black white. Like things are changing. This is how rapidly things are changing. And we're still changing. And we hope to continue to change. So um, it's these pioneers because they went through an incredible ordeal to get to where they were. And they were successful and they did it. And that's why we're talking about it. So um, I, I greatly admire all of them. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's this idea that you're, we're not first wave, but we're second wave, we're third wave, we're still within the relative new group. We're, like, I, I'm not in any way trying to suggest that you or I are trailblazers, but we're part of such a small group where there's not, there's only been a handful of people that have gone before us, that our mere presence even now is still novel. Yes. And that's, that's always something I, I've found bizarre and I, I can't say I've always liked that. I, I don't love it. It's it's odd to me that even though they have there have been people of color and women in aviation for decades, it's still so novel. Yes. And it's you're right. And that this is why it's still we still need to continue to work. We still need to have these programs. We still, you know, um people say, well, why do you have to have a program for, for people of color? Well, why do you have a program for women? Because the numbers, just take a look at the numbers. They're not there. It's totally unacceptable. And it's not that we can't do it. It's that we weren't given the opportunity, right? We weren't given the opportunity to do it in days past. And now we have the opportunity. So what we have to try and do is to make sure everybody knows that that opportunity is there. And when they take that opportunity, we have to assist them and make sure they're successful. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, and it, that's the simple fact. This, it's, it's a fact. Right. We didn't have the opportunities. You mentioned your instructor during your time at Seneca was such an integral part of sort of forming the pilot that you've become and how you maybe have approached aviation. How did having him sort of as someone to look up to and as a mentor maybe influence the way you approached aviation overall? I mean, number one, it gave me hope that I wasn't on my own, which is very important. Now, um, it, I'm sure we've all heard about Seneca's program. It's a very difficult program. It's tough. You're grueling it out, um, competing against everybody. But uh, this this gentleman, uh, he he believed in me. And somebody believing you and just supporting you is it's very powerful, right? It's very powerful. You're no longer carrying the weight all by yourself. Somebody even just if it's just a little bit of that weight, they take off your shoulder. It's, it's something. And so having somebody believe in you um, is a big deal. And I mean, he looked out for me. He, uh, once I graduated, he said, uh, he said to me, what are you, what are you going to do after you graduate? He said, uh, well, Mr. Rayside, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I haven't really thought that much about it. Um, maybe I'll, I'll go to Air Jamaica. Maybe I'll instruct. He goes, and he said, uh, well, you're going to instruct. I already talked to John Davis at Canadian Flight Academy. And, uh, and that's where you're going. I said, okay, Mr. Rayside, and there I went, right? So he he just, he just uh, wh whatever I did, I don't know, but he he just uh, had a helping hand and um, was my angel at that time. And uh, and there I went. I went off to Canadian Flight Academy. That was my first, first job as a pilot. I instructed. 
uh, like I said, did three years there more than I ever wanted to do. But I mean, those were the times. It was it was tough times if you think back in in those days. Um, but uh, that was my first start, and I'll forever have him to thank for that. I, in sort of describing your relationship with Mr. Azad, you sort of get this idea that he was not just an instructor, not just a mentor, but uh, sort of the idea of a sponsor in terms of someone who sort of has a maybe a macro view of the industry of the sort of the scene at the time and can see different opportunities and direct you to them. Um, do you think that there'll be an avenue for something similar to that within UPN or is it still sort of strictly falling under the kind of mentor-mentee relationship that you have? No, 100%, that's the way we're, we're headed. Um, now, again, partnerships have to be made. We have to have many different conversations, but that's 100% where we're headed. And um, this will all lead to a, a streamline, hopefully, that, okay, you got your licenses. Okay, this is where we're going to try and put you in one of these three places. We have partnerships with, with this group. We have partnerships with this group. We have partnership with this, with this group. We're going to try and get you into one of those three places. Okay, off you go. Call me back uh, six months later. Okay, um, Warren or whoever is the president or whoever you're talking to in our committee, our leadership team, uh, Hey, I got 500 hours. What do I do now? You got 500 hours? Okay, I'm going to put in I'm going to put in a phone call at our other partner, our other partners. Let's see if we could get you in there. Hey, I got three more pilots. They're ready to go. They got 500 hours. Can you take them? Yes. Okay, off they go. We fill their three spots with with uh the next wave of UPN members and so on right up to again Air Canada, WestJet, Sunwing um to the major airlines. So, hopefully um, not hopefully, that's what we're looking to do. That's what we're looking to do is to have that streamline, have that structure set up. That's the plan. But we need to um, we need to have these conversations. We need to establish these partnerships um, to get that going. But that is inevitably the grand the grand plan. And I mean, there's more than that. Well, we'll leave it at that. There's more we could do. We got great dreams um, here at UPN in terms of what we want to do, but. Uh, um, we'll leave it at that for now, I guess. Generally, at this point in the episode, I ask um, our guests what advice they have for someone considering a career in aviation. I have sort of gotten ahead of myself and I've already asked that. So instead, I'm going to sort of turn this on its head a little bit. What advice would you have for, for Warren showing up on day one of Seneca? What advice would you have for your younger self? Knowing everything you know now. Everything I know now. Um, I would tell myself, don't try to do it on your own um, and don't give up. Now, the reason I say don't try and do it on your own is because, and, and I, actually I tell this to everybody. I tell this to everybody that, that comes as a member to UPN. I go, you do not need UPN. You can 100% make it on your own. Mm. But why? It's very difficult. It's challenging. It doesn't mean you can't do it. I've done it. Um, there's many members of UPN that have done it. All those people that I mentioned before me have done it, but why do it on, but some of them had to do it on their own. There was no option. Now you do not have to do it on your own. And I would give myself that advice because I didn't really, I didn't not didn't really, I didn't know anybody in the aviation industry. I did not know anybody in the aviation industry, but I would say, I wish I tried to make more connections and talk to people a little bit more rather than internalizing it and saying, okay, I got to do it. 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 No, talk to everybody else, see what they're doing, see um, what their route is, what they're learning, the path that they're taking, and don't try to do it all on your own. Get help when you need help, right? So that would be the advice. And and then I just give myself a warning that, you know, it's it's challenging, but it's all worth it in the end. I think I would give Laura starting her first day at flight school the same advice. <laughs> I would have maybe been less resistant to ask for help and realize that it's uh, it's not the end of the world to let people know that you'd like their help. Yes, I mean, get help, get help. You don't have to do it on your own. And uh, and you know what, it, it is in the end, it's worth it. Um, I always tell people, it is what you think it is. So when you get here, 
uh, or where it is you want to be. Um, but for me at Air Canada, it is exactly what I thought it would be. It's great. You're traveling the world. You're doing these layovers. You get to see, we get paid very well. Um, it is what, what you thought it would be. So don't give up on it, right? Don't give up on it. Keep fighting for it. Now, before we wrap up today, where can our listeners find you and the Urban Pilot Network on social media? Uh, well, number one is our website, of course, www.urbanpilots.net. And we are on Instagram. So just uh, look for Urban Pilots Network. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn or under the same name, Urban Pilots Network and Facebook under Urban Pilots Network. So check us out on any one of these uh, um, platforms but we are, uh, we're there. So look out for us. And of course, you can email me if you have any questions at warren.holt at urbanpilots.net. We will be sure to have all those links in the episode description for our listeners. Warren Holt, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Laura, for having me. It's a great conversation. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, the Holding Short podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.